Well, this, this text today will begin with Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. So, last time we stood in honor of the Lord's word. We actually have three portions of text we'll look at, but you only have to stand for one. You, I mean, you could stand for all of them as we get there, but that would be kind of choppy. So let's just, let's just stand for these first five verses of Isaiah chapter 2. And the rest, well, you're welcome to remain seated for. Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that he may walk and that we may walk in his ways. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That is our main guiding scripture for today. Today's sermon is entitled, Come, Let Us Walk in the Light of the Lord. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. You might have noticed, not long after Halloween, the Christmas decorations come forth. I noticed it. Working at the mall, there was October 31st, then November 1st, suddenly there, there's the Christmas tree in Kohl's, there's the Christmas lights in this shop and the other. It seems like it's coming earlier each year, does it not? Is it just me? I think it, it seems like we start celebrating holidays as a culture with decorations far before the holiday actually arrives. I don't remember celebrating, getting ready for Halloween like as a community. I don't remember getting ready for Halloween in August in my childhood. I, I don't remember seeing Halloween decorations up in August. But it's not only the retail world that jumps the gun on the holidays, so will we. Because this is an Advent sermon and tomorrow is the first day of Advent. <laughs> That's where meeting on a Saturday, we can start Advent a day early. And I, I think Ogzoa did too, actually. So he, he was even ahead of us, but he's among us. Retail world prepares for Christmas. The church celebrates Advent. And we're not too liturgical of a church. We don't have our Advent candles out and our, our ceremonial colors and things like that. And we don't do a whole lot of liturgical things in our worship structure, as you know. But some of you, maybe everybody from your background might be familiar with different churches that you've gone to. Perhaps they've, they've focused more on the church calendar. And what that church calendar is, is it's basically something that the church probably, I think around the fourth or fifth century or so, by then wanted to structure the year so that it focuses on the life and teachings of Jesus in different ways. And due to different personal preferences and denominations and things like that, it's set up different ways. So... Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around us are celebrating the church season of Advent. And we, we don't really subscribe too tightly to the different church, church parts of the calendar of Advent and, 
Epiphany and Lent and things like that necessarily as a church. But Advent is a time that believers take to reflect on Christ's first coming and prepare their hearts for his second coming. It can be done any day, even August. But it's a special time. And so for the next, if the Lord wills, four sermons, uh, we're going to look, have an Advent series. Looking, reflecting back to Christ's coming in Bethlehem, him taking on human flesh to go to the cross and die for you and me and bring us back to the Father and looking forward to Jesus' glorious return. And I don't know about you, but I have a habit of not really thinking about the return of Christ a whole lot. That is, I believe that he, his return is imminent. It could be today. I believe that. But in daily life, do I really wake up and, and have the expectation as I'm going about my morning routine or any other routine for that matter, that maybe this is the day that Jesus will return? I have to confess I don't really. I believe it, but do I really think that way and live that way? We're going to look at what that looks like and some scripture that can help us become a little bit more aware because I think we would all say, yes, we believe Jesus is returning and yes, he will come in an hour that we don't expect and hey, it might even be this afternoon. But how easy it is to be distracted by the things of the world and perhaps especially at Christmas season, it can be very easy with all the commercialism and materialism and, and sometimes just the running around that the season draws us into. So let's take some time over the next four weeks to consider Christ's first coming and his second coming. The, as the Old Testament saints looked forward to his first coming, they knew there would be a Messiah. They awaited the day. They didn't know when. Now we have that. We have the privilege of looking back to that and knowing that the Messiah did come and being people of the new covenant. And we also have the, the mystery, the anticipation, and hopefully, as the Lord helps us with this, the reverence of looking to his second coming as he comes back, not in a manger, but as a king. Isaiah 2 describes this future time, describes this future time where there is peace. Talking about swords being beaten into plowshares. People will not learn war anymore. We look forward to this future time when in the future there is no more war, the Lord himself settling disputes, a glorious thing to think about. And, and some Christians look at this differently. Some people believe this is the millennial reign of Christ. Some people think this is the new heaven and new earth. And still others have different interpretations. And we'll get to some of that. But to point out, there will be this time when this situation is so far removed from our war-torn, conflict-saturated world that we live in, where, the Lord, where there will be no more war, no more preparation for war, the Lord himself settling disputes, a time for peace. Many people long for it, don't they? Believers, non-believers, many people long for world peace. But as John Preeve, the teacher of the second Bible study I ever went to when I was in college, once said, there's not going to be peace in the Middle East until Jesus returns. I think he's right. <laughs> and elsewhere as well. And that's, that's not to say we can't embrace peace and, and, um, and pray for it in many categories of life. But the fact of the matter is, it will be the Lord who brings the ultimate peace. And nothing, nothing else, everything else can help with that maybe in the short run. But it won't be this. It won't be what we're reading in Isaiah brought about by human efforts. There will be this future time. It's not here yet. 
There will be this future time. We see bumper stickers. I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, hashtag end gun violence. And I'm thinking that would certainly be a good thing. It's not going to be. It's not going to happen. This is what will end the gun violence right here. What we read in Isaiah, this is the end of gun violence. There, there can be, there can be um, laws and rules and, and programs that maybe can help with this somewhat. Keyword being somewhat. It'll be the Lord who brings the ultimate peace. And that's what's missing. That's what's missing from the picture. That's why there is gun violence. Because people don't know the Lord. That's what it really boils down to. But there will be this time of peace. There will be a time of unity. A time of people forsaking false religions. Where false religion lies in the shadows. And people go and hear the ways of the Lord. And there will be a time when there, we have these people going to the Lord in unity. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. And right before that, it says, all nations shall flow to it. So in the, in the New Testament, we see as it's made clear that the gospel is for all people, there are the Jews holding on to their Judaism and their, and their cultural things. They want the Gentiles to get circumcised. They want the Gentiles to celebrate certain holidays and ceremonies that they have. And the Lord has to use people like Paul to correct them. Well, as some have pointed out, just the same, sometimes it can even be so with us. We have to be careful that as we're sharing Christ with others, we're not sharing the American Jesus or the um, religious Jesus that, that we most associate with, but just Jesus to meet that person. Sometimes you hear about that's, that's some training sometimes people have to go through as they prepare to become missionaries is you're going there to share Jesus with people, not try to make their culture like your culture or to make their setup like your setup in church. But there will come a time when people are receiving the teachings from the Lord himself and the Lord himself settling disputes. How glorious that time will be. But we think, what about now? How does, what, is that, what does that mean for us now? We hear about these future things. How does that apply to now other than just head knowledge? Well, here it is. In verse 2 of Isaiah, Isaiah writes, It shall come to pass in the latter days shall come to pass in the latter days. And when we see terms like the latter days, we, it means a few different things in scripture sometimes, but usually it's, it's referencing most specifically the time of Christ. When Christ comes to culminate the biblical story with his life, death, and resurrection. And then sometimes it, it refers to the final consummation of Christ's return. All of this was a future time out on the horizon, somewhat, somewhere distant, especially in Isaiah's day. Yet, take a look at verse 5. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. There's a call to action. There's a call to action. Isaiah was a prophet to both Israel and Judah at a very bad time in their spiritual history filled with sin and he's and he, he had he had a lot to say about re, rebukes and judgment coming and then he also had some things to say like this about this this future time of the Lord's reign and he calls to action O house of Jacob come let us walk in the light of the Lord and that's our that's our theme of this scripture come let us walk in the light of the Lord. In light of the, the future, the glorious future that the Lord will bring, come, 
let us walk in the light of the Lord. So, how do we do that? And how, how do we look into the future of the great peace and the great authority the Lord himself will bring upon his return? And how do we translate that into our daily lives? Not just believing that it will happen someday, but actually living differently because of it. We'll consider two main texts for it. One from Matthew, one from Romans. So, first one is going to be Matthew 24, 36 through 44. This should be a familiar one. Matthew 24, 36 through 44. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore you, must, therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus is teaching about his second advent, his glorious return. So we read here, Jesus' return will be sudden, and we are told to stay awake, a spiritual awakeness, that is. We're not supposed to become lax, to fall asleep at the wheel, as it were, in our spiritual lives. And when we look at the text in Romans, we'll see some practical ways that we can stay awake. But the Lord tells us, stay awake. And perhaps we see this physically played out Later on in Gethsemane, when Jesus told his disciples to watch and pray and stay awake, and they physically fell asleep. But I think he speaks to us in a spiritual way, stay awake. Stay awake. Don't go to sleep at the wheel. Don't, go, don't get so in tune to the white noise of your daily life that you don't hear the voice of the Lord and that you go into a spiritual slumber. We can go through the motions. It's so easy to do. So easy to do. I, I feel like the Lord's waking me up quite often in various areas of life, shaking me awake and saying, hey, hey, just because I got, gave you victory over that area of, of, of sin in your past doesn't mean go to sleep at the wheel now. Doesn't mean carry on in the flesh by what the Spirit once did. Just because you have been enabled to do such and such by the Spirit over here. Don't, don't carry on in the flesh like you think it's, it's you who's good at something. Rely on me. We're called to stay awake. We are called to be prepared. We are to live in expectation of the return of the Lord. Like a thief in the night, not because he comes to steal or do anything like what a thief would do, but because many other people who are not thieves, you expect a little bit more. I don't know what, they, what their first century equivalent to the UPS driver was, but now you can track the UPS driver on your phone. Yeah, I mean, the poor guy doesn't even have any privacy. <laughs> the, you know, you, you can expect a letter from a friend. Many things you can expect, not the thief. Neither can we expect exactly, although Jesus tells us in other areas that we should be aware of the seasons, 
Just as we're aware of the physical seasons, so we should be aware of the signs of leading up to his coming. That's a different thing because the day or the hour, no one knows. He makes very clear here. We are to live in expectation. And when we look at church history, many great saints who have been used by the Lord in marvelous ways are people who lived in expectation of the Lord's return. Many of these people who we read of in church history who have, who have been used greatly by the Lord have lived in expectation of the Lord's return. So, what does it mean to be ready? How does that play out practically in our lives? Well, there are many ways that we should not try to be ready. There are foolish ways people try to be ready. I think it's necessary to go over some of those for ourselves and maybe so we can warn our brothers and sisters in Christ, hey, Teddy, that's not how you get ready for Jesus' return. Hey, Samantha, no, not like that. And these are some ways. There are, are six ways not to get ready for the Lord. I bet there are even more than six. We're only going to talk about six. One, scoffing. This is the attitude that, well, in the first century, they seemed to believe Jesus was coming back. It's 2018, he's still not here, therefore this is irrelevant. But, 2 Peter 3.8, I'm going to give some scripture references. I won't turn to every one of these, but, but uh, you can ask me afterward or, or write them down or turn them yourself if you please. 2 Peter 3.8 is a scripture that says, uh, that relates to this in saying some, some people, even in the first century, were scoffing at this, saying, hey, he hasn't come back yet. And Peter says, a day to the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. A mathematical equation? Nay. But it is to say that our understanding of a day, perhaps the best analogy I can think of is like, remember when you were a lad or a lassie and you had to go for a drive to get somewhere? It was like a 40-minute drive and that seemed like forever. And now 40 minutes is like you didn't even know it went by. Time goes by so fast and it seems to go by faster and faster. Now multiply that by, by some number that's so big it doesn't even exist. And that's what the, Lord, the difference between the Lord and us. In fact, he's not even in our space-time continuum. Time to us means so much to him. It's just a day is like a thousand. It's all the same. It's all the same. So when we hear things about Jesus coming soon, our idea of soon is different than his idea of soon. And we need to be reminded. Sometimes people scoff. And we can tell them this. We can share 2 Peter 3.8 with them. We might need to share it with ourselves as well. Because we might get used to the idea of soon seeming, well, what does that even mean? Here we are in 2018. He hasn't come back yet. But he might. But he might. A day to the Lord's like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. The second way, an over-focus on chronology of events leading up to Christ's return. It's good to study the end times. Why? Because it's in Scripture. All Scripture is profitable. And here's my favorite reason to study about the end times. Is it gets, it gets the gears in my head turning. It gets me wondering about it. It gets me thinking about Jesus. And it gets me thinking about Jesus coming back. And it gets me to snap out of my daily rhythm a little bit and think, Wow, what if Jesus comes back in my lifetime? Wow. And then the Lord can spur us on to holiness, spur us on to holy living. However, there are those who get so focused on the order of events coming up. Are you pre-trib or post-trib or mid-trib? And people think so much about this and they, and they devote so much of their time to studying these things that they're up you know, they're in their room studying this, 
and and they're just they're just not not reaching out to people. They're getting they're becoming divided from other Christians who don't hold the exact same view of of like you know. Does the Antichrist is he going to be balding? Like is he going to have a mustache like Hitler? Is it going to be more like a walrus mustache? Will he have a mustache at all? Well, the Bible doesn't say. Yeah, but maybe if we get into the Greek, we could sense some kind of implication about his mustache or lack thereof. This is stupid. Nobody's ever actually. I've never heard anybody say that. But. <laughs> <laughs> but people do go overboard and they focus on the chronology of events so much that they actually lose sight of the main event, which is Jesus's return, Jesus himself. We shouldn't be so focused on the chronology of events. Learn, learn from what scripture says. But here's the thing. I, I suggest and I suggest this carefully, but I suggest in for example, let me take an obvious example, the book of Revelation. A lot of people are intimidated by the book of Revelation because there are so many differing viewpoints on it and there are so many different angles people go down. Here, here's the thing. I believe that with the book of Revelation, you can read it asking the Holy Spirit for wisdom, comparing scripture to scripture, and even if you don't, understand the exact layout of what thing happens after what thing, even if you don't get the chronology of events 100% precisely, you can still walk away with God speaking to you about who he is and the big picture, which is a call to persevere as the church. It's, it's a call to see God as on the throne and to see that no matter what the world looks like, God has won and God's going to win. He's going to continue winning and he is victorious. And that God is sovereign over all these things, even the most wicked things, Satan, the false prophet, the antichrist, God, God rules and he cannot be overcome. And at the end of the day, we see victory was won at the cross and we see the consummation of it at the end of times. And we see that God does not abandon those who he loves. All that to say, it's still good to have a context. It's still good to have an understanding of scripture. You still need to understand it before applying specific things. But I suggest the focus shouldn't be the order of events. There are so many who invest so much in the order of events and become obsessed with those. The focus should be Jesus himself. Another way, sloth. I don't know how many people actually live like this, but it was addressed in scripture. In 2 Thessalonians 3.11, uh, Paul writes to these Christians, you're, you're not busy, you're just being busy bodies. And we don't, we don't know for certain that that was in regard to them believing that Christ was going to come. So they quit their jobs and, and, and became sloth, slothful for that reason. Although some people believe it, believe that was the reason given other statements Paul said there. But the application can still be for us either way. We are called to action. Whether Jesus is coming back today or not even in our li lifetime, we are called to live lives of action. It's not supposed to be a passive life, but life of action. And then there's the, I'm not going to use that word. That's too churchy of a word. I'm going to say there is, oh, I will use it. I will use it. The, the dogmatic way. That is focusing on one specific area and thinking this is the only way and everybody else is wrong, especially if the area you focus on is wrong to begin with. And I say that because there have been a lot of Christians and some of them people who really love the Lord, who have focused so much on a specific end times kind of viewpoint and they've publicized it. And then they've been wrong and it makes a mockery of Christianity. 
uh, there have actually been some people who are good Bible teachers, and it's a shame because it's like that's like the one, the one, not to say that everything else they did was perfect, but it seems like that's like the the one stain on their outward testimony of teaching and preaching. Everything else is so good, but it's, oh, except for the fact that you claim Jesus was coming back in 1987 or or something like that, and and kind of to the outside world, we got to make sure that we're not um, reading into the text. A lot of people have read into the text. And I don't know how they could looking at that Matthew part. Sometimes, this is, and this is another lesson for us, a, a broader lesson. It's good to take scripture for what it says. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us. And we don't have to be people who discover new things in the Bible. We should be people who believe what the Bible teaches and let the Lord do the, the mighty work in our lives that he wants us to do. We don't have to be people who find new and innovative things that nobody else has discovered yet. <laughs> it's okay if we don't. It's an old book that's very powerful. It's time-tested because it's, it's the word of God and he's still speaking through it. Somehow people, I think every generation has that guy who comes up with the date of Jesus' return. I, I did a little Google search, and I didn't even get to have time to look at the different things. Out of curiosity, I just wanted to see what would come up. But there are so many things that come up, like, oh, it's this lost book of the Bible, and, and the early church must have believed this, and people try to put these dates on things. Can you imagine if we knew the date Jesus was coming back? Can you imagine how ungodly that would make us in many ways? Oh, I don't really need to do well at my job. It's okay if I get fired, because if Jesus is coming back in like three weeks, I'm not going to need the money anyway. <laughs> I can, I'm going to be praying and worshiping him forever now, so I might as well just go to the buffet and eat till I pass out. And, and we might spiritualize it more than that. But I think not knowing when Jesus comes is the key. I think he didn't reveal the date for the right reasons. When I, probably about, I would say probably about 2008 or so, 2008 or so, does anybody remember Harold Camping? He was, he was the um, name the specific date guy who I remember in my life. He was this, uh, I don't know if he was a pastor or, or, or a Bible, I think he was a Bible teacher. He had a radio program and they funded to have all these billboards put up. There were some in New Hampshire, there were a number in New Hampshire and at the time I was a teacher and I asked my students about this and some of them who had gone on vacations testified there was also somewhere like in the Carolinas or Virginia or someplace and in Florida as well. And, um, and it was, I want to say it was sometime around 2000, Eight or so, and I, I think the date was 2011 or 2012 that Jesus was supposedly coming back, and that the, these big billboards were on the highways, and it said 2012, are you ready? Jesus returns, or something like that. And what he did was he took scripture from the book of Daniel. And he, try, and, he, and he tried to turn into some kind of mathematical equation. And, and I think like counting like, you know, the buffer zone of when Jesus might have actually been born. And, and, and he put it all together and turned it into some mathematical equation, got 2012 out of it. And then here comes 2012. And then, it, and it was actually, it was more than that. It was a specific day. It was a specific day. It was, I think it was in October. It's always October. And the day came and went. The day came and went. And then he changed it a little bit right after it came and went. And then after that, he was just kind of like, okay, I was wrong. And now he's kind of just drifted off the radar. I'm not sure what happened to the guy. But uh, it's, it's a shame. Like these things, these things are foolish. And sometimes they're not as obvious as putting up billboards. <laughs> but the point is, when you're looking in scripture, look for the main character, the Lord. Look for the main character. All right, that was reason four not to do. Reason five, 
an overfocus of physical preparation. An overfocus of physical preparation. When the Lord tells us to stay awake, He told His disciples to physically stay awake. I think He tells us to spiritually stay awake. Maybe we do need to stay awake a little bit more to pray and read the Bible more. Other than that, though, it's a spiritual preparation. Ever met a Christian who's trying really hard to physically prepare for Jesus' return or the end times or the Great Tribulation or something like that? They're weirdos, aren't they? <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yeah, I got my seven assault rifles, my closet full of ammunition. 16 years worth of food. They have, they have gardens. It's okay to have a garden. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying repent of your gardens, but yeah, they, have, they stockpile food. They do all these things to physically prepare. I just don't think that's the emphasis the Lord ever is giving us in Scripture, an emphasis of physical preparation, really for anything. The, 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 scripture says, the Scripture does say some things about the body. It wants us to keep our bodies uh, pure. He talks about about sexual morality and things like that. He talks about the body is a temple to the Lord. He warns us against gluttony and sloth and things like that. But even all those are ultimately stem from the attitude of the heart. If we, Scripture says, Paul said to either Timothy or Titus, he said, physical, physical exercise is of some value. Don't throw it away. But spiritual exercise is of much value. And there are so many people who get into this physical preparation and it's, some of them might have fun with it. If I was going to do that, I'd have fun with it. But some of the, them do it out of a spirit of fear. It's like they have to, they, they read about what's happening in Revelation, they get all physically ready. And I want to say, doesn't it occur to you that someone might be texting while driving and hit you on the crosswalk? Like, and then what happens with your garden? and your assault rifles, and your ammunition, and your barbed wire fence that you put up around you, it all goes to nothing. No, I gave my relatives my password. Okay, okay. So they can, okay. But the fact is, life is uncertain. Life is uncertain, period. And it's better to focus on spiritual preparation than physical preparation. And this is kind of funny. This is, I, maybe it's not funny. Maybe I should repent of thinking it's funny but I'll share it with you either way. I saw this on TV years ago. This is true. This is, I'm not making this up. You know that there is a great surgence of things like doggy daycares. You might know where I'm going for this. There was this, this company. It was, I saw this on the news. This is a real company. This company in set up to, you can pay this company a certain amount of money and they, and these people are atheists, or at least they're not Christians anyway, and they say, if the rapture happens, we will take care of your cats and dogs. <laughs> this is true. So they're like, if the rapture happens, we're not Christians, we're not being raptured, we'll be left behind, but we'll take care of your cats and dogs. This is a real thing. This is a real thing. <laughs> Man, you better hope that they don't repent before the rapture, right? Or else Rover's going to be left behind with no one to take care of him. But this is ridiculous. <laughs> yep, this is a real thing. These people get so, so caught up in these ridiculous things. And then finally, we, get, we come to, and before that, Ephesians 6 says the battle we fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers, against the spiritual forces. And that's, that's now and it's in the future. So there's a lot coming in the future. We know that ultimately the Lord is coming and ultimately the Lord will reign. But we do see things in scripture prophesied about things that quite frankly are frightening. But how do we fight? With our spiritual armor, not our earthly armor, not our fleshly armor. We do so by putting on Christ. And that's what we'll get to in just a moment. Godly fear versus ungodly fear. This is the sixth way to not be ready and transitioning to being ready. How not to be ready? Ungodly fear. I, I know a lot of people who just, they just, 
they'll read things like uh, th things in, in scripture, such as uh, always going back to the book of Revelation, and they'll, they'll, they'll just become afraid when they read it. They don't, they, don't see, they don't see God in it. They just, they become so blinded with fear that they just, they just become apprehensive about the future. Some people get so afraid of things like the mark of the beast and, 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 and things like that. And, and I'm not trying to make light of these things, but I am trying to say if our focus is on things like the Antichrist and who's it going to be and, and what's going to happen and who's it? Oh no. A brief story. I cannot resist. <laughs> this is an example. Years ago, I was at work. There was a fellow. We will give him the pseudonym Big Jerry. And Big Jerry really liked to study the end times. And he was a brother in the Lord. I love Big Jerry. He's a good man. But he said he, he, there was somebody who he understood to most likely be the Antichrist, just not revealed yet. So he printed out copies of this internet article that he thought with scripture to back it up, why this person in, somewhere in Asia or Europe was probably going to be the Antichrist, and then handed them out to people who he didn't know in the mall. Bad idea, Big Jim. Wait a minute. Don't. Oh, that was his real name. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. <laughs> oh, well, the damage is done. But, I, but anyway, um, don't do that. Don't do that. There, there's... Sometimes people can become so focused on the enemy that, and while we should be aware of the enemy, and scripture warns us, and for good reason, our main focus should not be the enemy. Our main focus should be the Lord. And if we read books like Revelation, and we come away from it just thinking like, oh, everything's going to fall apart, and the enemy is going to come, and is going to tear us up, and, and bad stuff is going to, and that's, that's all we're left with. We're forgetting the most important thing, which is Jesus is returning. Our Lord is returning. We look forward to the Lord's return, and the Lord shall be triumphant, and the Lord will rule and reign, and he shall overcome the enemy. Godly fear versus ungodly fear. It ought to prompt us to reverence. It ought to prompt us to godly fear. Godly fear versus ungodly fear. So, what does that take us to? Practically, how do, we, how do we live out lives preparing for the advent of our Lord, the return of the Lord? Here it is, our last point from the book of Romans. Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. Romans 13, 11 through 14. Walk in the light of the Lord. Walking in the light of the Lord means turning from sin and to God. Turn from sin to God. We sing a song that related to that very well this morning. Holiness, righteousness, purity, desiring these things, asking for these things, the Lord desiring them for us. And here it is, Romans 13, 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The time, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. Again, Paul talks about waking up. Waking up from this spiritual sloth, this spiritual slumber that we can fall into in our daily lives. Paul echoes the words of Jesus and says, wake up, wake up from this. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Huh. 
And if you read the context of what Paul's saying here, before this, if we, if we rewind back to the beginning of the chapter uh, and beyond and before that, there's a transition in chapter 12. Paul tells us to live as living sacrifices. And he goes on in 13 to talk to us about submitting to authorities. And then he talks about loving your neighbor. So the context isn't really even about the end times. What does that mean? It means regardless of where we are in history, it's always time to be anticipating the return of Christ and always time to be readying ourselves to meet the Lord. Wherever we are, we're moving forward in time. There is a time marked out on the, on the calendar, so to speak, the Lord's calendar. We don't know what it is, but we are getting closer to the return of Christ. And we are getting closer, whether that's in our physical lives now or whether he promotes us individually to meet him by, by physical death and but continued spiritual life. Either way, there's this awareness that life is short and we will be with the Lord in a very, in a way that's, that's visible and, and more real than we understand. We're getting closer to that time though. We're always getting closer to that time. So, this spiritual slumber, spiritual carelessness, a question for each of us to consider. Is there anything that we've become careless about, spiritually speaking? Something for each of us to search our own hearts over. Something we've become careless. So easy to do. So easy to do. The psalmist prayed, and this is a paraphrase, but search my heart, O Lord, see if there's any unrighteous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That could be a good thing for us to pray to. Search our hearts. Is there anything we become lazy, spiritually speaking about? Maybe it's something practical like time and prayer, commitment to prayer, a commitment to being in the word. Maybe it's a sin that, that the Lord's given us victory of, over and, and we've allowed it to kind of creep back into our lives or, or we've, we think it's so far in the past that we don't need to put up walls and boundaries and, and spiritual armor against that. Maybe it's something that we've been seeking the Lord for and he's enabled us to do, something good that he's enabled us to do, but maybe we've started to think that we can do it because of who we are instead of the strength he gives us, starting to rely on the flesh. It could be many things, something for us to search our hearts about. So, continuing practically, what does that mean? Colossians 3, 12 to 14 gives us a concrete example. Colossians 3, 12 to 14. And this is where one who is overly focused on the physical and overly focused on on trying to define every possible reality of the, the play-by-play end times scenarios that lead up to Christ's return will say, hey, that's cheating. That's, that's, that's not how to be prepared for Jesus' return. This is what you're supposed to do anyway. Exactly. Exactly. It is what we're supposed to do anyway. But the Lord uses his imminent return to spur us on, to get us to wake up and say, wait a minute, this, this earthly life, the things I'm concerned with, the, the cares of what I eat and drink and wear, maybe these things have been a little too close to my heart lately. Maybe I do need to wake up and realize Jesus could come back in my life. I need to be about the kingdom. Colossians 3, 12 to 14 says this, but put, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And we could go on, but it's putting on the new self it's putting on Christ, putting on Christ as we prepare for his return. We put on Christ. We put off the flesh. 
We put off the, the attributes of the old self. And just as one of my co former co-workers drank 14 iced teas in one day when he was quitting smoking, so we <laughs> must put on Christ as we put off the flesh. If we just put off the flesh, we're going to drink our proverbial 14 cups of iced tea. It might just be filled with some other thing of the flesh. We don't want to just be known for what we don't do, right? Put on Christ. Put off the flesh. Put on Christ. So as we wait for the Lord's return, glorious return, we reflect on the incarnation and wait for God's second coming. Jesus' second coming. We wait actively, believing that this could happen in our lifetime. Reminding ourselves of that. And our active waiting takes on the form of holiness. As we wait, we, we seek to become more like Christ. That's how we do it. We seek to become more like Christ. So, three challenges for this week. Two in the forms of questions to ask yourself or ask the Lord concerning yourself. One, what does God want you to put off? The ways of the flesh. What does God want you to put off? And what does God want you to put on? An attribute of Christ to put on, as is described in Colossians here. And meditate on the incarnation, Jesus coming in the flesh, and Jesus' glorious return. Take time to meditate on that this week. There are plenty of, I'm sure you can, I don't have an example, but I'm sure you can find them online and such. Plenty of good Advent devotionals. And of course, we have the simple scripture right here. And on that note, let's close in a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, oh Lord, we look forward to your great return. What a glorious day it will be. It's such a, such a mighty thing to consider, oh Lord. And it can be hard for our human minds to grasp. We pray you'd break us out of the, the day-by-day um, monotony or busyness or distractedness of our daily lives and help us to to consider this, this glorious truth of your return. And we pray that it won't just be something that we think about intellectually or just head knowledge, but that it will really go to our hearts and will, will really cause us to change. Help us, help, we pray that you would use this, the, the thought of your glorious return and the glorious kingdom that you'll set up as motivation to help us to reconsider the sin that we might be tempted with and, and to consider your greatness, and, and wanting to become more like you. We ask this all in the holy name of Christ. We thank you for the fellowship time that we're about to have. We pray your blessing upon it. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.